Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey guys, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to this uh, final installment on the rapture, hope, and comfort. Now today we're going to be talking about a topic. I just love to talk about this. This is just so cool and so powerful. But today we are going to talk about uh, beyond space and time. As a matter of fact, the, the subtitle for this particular message would probably be knowing the unknowable. Now, this is such an incredible thing that we need to realize about God. You know, um, when, when we think of the heavens, you know, we think of, we think of some, some place out here, you know, up there somewhere, maybe another dimension, you know, you know, I don't know. But I do know that there are two different times that the word heaven is used, and sometimes heaven is used when it's talking about the expanse of the universe. Uh, and then sometimes heaven is used as the locality of God. And so I, I want you to understand that we are talking right now, when we talk about beyond space and time, we are talking about the locality of God. Now, I have said this to you, and I just recently, I, I wish I brought this list with me. I just went through a list of, of every major religion in the world, and none of them uh, are able, for those who they declare to be their God, are able to foretell the future with pinpoint accuracy. And again, I've said this to you time and time again. The first time I read through the New Testament, uh, man, I will never forget reading through the book of Matthew. I had a little Gideon's Bible. So you start it, you know, as a New Testament. So you start it with Matthew. And I was overwhelmed at the number of times that I would read something and it would say, you know, according to the prophet Isaiah, uh, da, 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 or, uh, or as the prophet Isaiah said, da, 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 or there would be some, there would be some uh, a scriptural reference to Isaiah, Jeremiah, or Ezekiel. And I'm telling you, it, it blew my mind to see how God foretold events in the life and the ministry of Jesus uh, that were so incredibly detailed. You know, when, when Jesus was crucified, every part of everything that he said, everything that was said about him, everything that, everything that was going on in the environment was prophesied in very, very specific detail. And it just blew my mind the dozens and dozens of prophecies that that in the book of Matthew, you know, you, you quickly were able to identify. And so, so uh, uh, you realize, and, and when you look at prophecy, I, I, I tend to think that there's something that we just misunderstand about prophecy, biblical prophecy, how biblical prophecy is used. And, uh, and so... It, in biblical prophecy, and, and by biblical prophecy, I mean, this is not personal prophecy. This is not where you get a word as about your, you or someone else personally 
and about the events of their life or the things that are going to be coming forth in their life. Now, it is my opinion, and it's just my opinion, that very rarely are those people who bring a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, or maybe even a, a personal word of prophecy. It is almost never in the New Testament setting that those people are prophets. These are just believers that yield to the Holy Spirit and speak forth that which the Holy Spirit, you know, brings into their heart. But that does not make them prophets in the biblical sense, because the prophets in the biblical sense, they foretold uh, biblical events. Very specifically, they foretold the biblical events about Israel, about the church, about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, about the end times. In other words, there, there are just a, there's a, a very few categories uh, that a, what I consider a true biblical prophet or prophetess brings, and they are very specific, and they are very, very biblically related. Now, this prophecy always has at least two key elements. Now, it can have more elements than this, but number one, it tells the believer that which is unknowable, and this is so very important for you to realize this. And, and I have to throw this in when I talk about things being unknowable. Uh, religion has made us believe that the devil is, is really omniscient, or at least on the verge of, of omniscience, uh, in other words, all-knowing. And really, most believers actually believe in the concept of dualism, where God and the devil are pretty much almost neck and neck in power and ability and authority and all that kind of stuff, and that there is a battle going on. And whoever wins that battle wins the world. Well, that's, that's not true. That battle is already over. That battle ended whenever Jesus uh, was raised from the dead and whenever he uh, actually stripped all principality and power from all spiritual beings. And so, so um, Satan is really not this, this genius and, and this person that is just on the verge of all, he is not all powerful, he's not close to all powerful, and he definitely has no authority, you have authority over him. And so, uh, uh, so we start realizing that almost everything that we believe about the devil has really been grossly exaggerated by religion, and uh, it just becomes another way of controlling uh, the flock, if you, if you will. So anyhow, a second key aspect to biblical prophecy. Number one, it tells you what is knowable, unknowable. Now, why, why is it unknowable? Because it's something that's going to happen 100 years, 150 years, 200 years, 1,000 years. Uh, and, it, you know, in the future, and so to know that right down to the very words that people are going to speak, it is to know that which is unknowable but it also indicates that the, our God, as opposed to all gods of all other religions, our God is the only God that sees the end from the beginning. He is the only God that foretells these events like he does in, in, in biblical prophecy. And so what we understand from this, we have the heavens and the earth. Probably the closest thing to understanding the heavens is understanding that it is the universe. You know, it, I always tell people there were two phases to creation, and we, we fail to understand this. And this is, something that, this is something we do with so many topics. The Bible will, for example, it will give you scriptures about the rapture, 
which is which is the second coming of Jesus, but he doesn't come to planet Earth. He meets us in, in the air, if you will, and we meet him in the air as the bride of Christ. But then there's also what most people call the second coming of Christ, and the second coming of Christ is when he returns with the church. Now, see, he got the church when he came the first time, and we met him in the air. He equipped us, he prepared us, and then we come back with him again to overthrow the Antichrist. So that's one of those places where you got, you got the rapture, and you got the second coming of Jesus, and almost always people actually combine those into one event, and so it gets, it gets, it takes something very simple and gets it so incredibly complicated that you just absolutely, you know, you know, cannot grasp it. And so there, you know, there are all kinds of situations like that where we, you know, where we are uh, rolling uh, two or more events into one event and really, really, really making a mess out of the theology, making a mess uh, out of the scripture. So, so, and that happens a lot with this word when it talks about heaven. Now, in creation, as I understand it, there were two phases of creation. There was the first phase of creation where God created the expanse, what we would call the heavens, and, uh, and very probably in that first stage of creation, uh, the heavens were actually uh, programmed to have, uh, to have positive and negative polarities because you have to have polarities for anything to take on a physical shape or physical existence. And so the first part of creation is that which was created from nothing. God spoke it into, into existence, and, and he spoke it, and it came into existence from nothing. Now, the second part of creation, and if you don't pay attention to the Hebrew words, you, you will just miss this. The second part of creation is where God begins to create what we would consider to be matter or phys physicality. And, um, uh, but uh, the Hebrew word for this word indicates this is creation that is coming from something that has already been created but is invisible. And so those are two different aspects of creation. So when we study creation, I'm afraid that maybe we roll all of those into one and we get them way, way, way too complicated and we confuse what we're talking about. So God exists outside of uh, the heavens and the earth as we know them, the great expanse that we know of. God exists outside of this. And so, um, so this means that he is outside of time and space. Now, Here's is just so amazing to me to think about this is that God He's omniscient, but the way I understand omniscience is not just that He knows everything, but He knows all things at all times, and He probably knows and experiences all things as if they are all happening in the present tense. Therefore, He can influence uh, all things and the outcome of all things because because they are all happening right now. So knowing the unknowable means that we have sources outside of the boundaries of space and time. And you know, our, our ultimate source is God himself and that God himself 
because he exists outside of space and time, he can, he can see the end, he can see the beginning, he can see the middle, he can see yesterday. See, with God, there is no tomorrow. There is no yesterday. God is now. God exists in the eternal now. So we have access to that which has not yet happened, which means when we open our heart up to that which has not yet happened, and we begin to experience this uh, in, in our connection with God, it means that we can become strategic in ways that we, you just never, never, never imagine. We can, we can make plans, not in, the, not in the typical goal setting kind of things the way most people do, but we can make plans. And one of the reasons, if we establish our plans in harmony with God, we're listening to the Holy Spirit, we're reading the Word of God, we're staying in harmony with everything about who God is, then we can make plans, uh, particularly if those plans are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we can reach a place 5, 10, 20 years from now, and we don't have to worry that those plans have been upset. You always hear people say, well, you know, God gave me this word about this thing I was going to do, but I guess the devil found out and came and messed it up. No, no, that's not what happened. I mean, unless there were uh, conditions put on what God was going to have you to do, then, then the real truth is, if it didn't happen, it's because you just missed it. And, and you've got to, if you want to make this journey and know the unknowable, you have got to be willing to recognize and own it when you miss it, when you get it wrong, when you think you're hearing from God and you're not. And you've got to be willing to do whatever it takes. Uh, and you can do this through a heart physics program, but you've you, you got to develop your heart in such a way that you don't just keep missing it. Uh, because if you do, you begin to either doubt God or you'll just turn into a horrendous, uh, overly over-spiritual liar. So now one of the things that happens when, when we trust God's written word, and we've talked about this in other messages in the series, when we trust God's revealed word, which is his written word, it is here for everybody, that does something in our heart that actually opens us up to hear God's private words for us. Now, most of God's private words for us, he is going to take this scripture, he's going to use the scripture, and he's going to speak to us about how to apply that scripture to our life, what that's going to look like in our life. It's not about him giving us great theological insight that nobody else knows. That's not it. It's about how to live in the insight that he has already given to us. Now, the problem is this. If I reject, or if you reject the revealed word of God, the revealed knowledge of God, if you reject what God has already revealed about himself and about your life and what you can do, then what happens is now uh, you have closed your heart to God's word. So the real truth is, uh, if you're not willing to hear, believe, see, receive, obey what he has already revealed, then the real truth is your heart will be closed to his private personal word, and, and, and you, you'll, never, you'll never really experience what's, what's available to you. Now, so it's the same way in prophecies that it is in God's word in general. When I open my heart up, and not just trust God's written prophecies, but when I begin to study prophecies, and begin to understand prophecies, how God uses prophecies, then the real truth is I am opening my heart up to personal prophecy. I'm opening my heart up to God being able to show me things 
that there is no way that I could know within my own personal capabilities. Now, Israel, for example, could have known for certain that Jesus was the Messiah. They could have repented and avoided 1,900 years of persecution. You know, when I look at Israel, my heart breaks for Israel. And I know that God is not finished with Israel yet. I know that, that Israel will ultimately be recovered, but they have had 1,900 years uh, of persecution and hardship because they closed their heart to the revealed knowledge of God, which meant their heart was closed to the personal knowledge of God. They, they closed their heart to the prophecies that told about a Savior that would come the first time and suffer, and then come back a second time and overthrow the Antichrist. And because they closed their heart to the scriptures that taught that, even though they knew them, I mean, we know this because of the ancient writings, they knew about Isaiah 53. You know, there were actually Jews who took Isaiah 53 out of their Bibles because they just did not want to believe in a Savior that was going to come and die for the sins of the world. So they created in their mind what they wanted, and they, then they determined that that's what they would believe for, which meant they were trying to believe for something that was never going to happen. So they have ended up uh, in 1,900 years of hardness of heart, 1,900 years uh, in resisting the Holy Spirit, 1,900 years of saying no to the Scripture, and so it's no wonder that for 1,900 years, they've been the scourge of the earth, and they did not have to do this. This is just an amazing thing. You know, uh, in Luke 19, 41, uh, it talks about when Jesus rode the, uh, the, the donkey fold or donkey colt into Jerusalem just before the Passover, and this was, this was the place where he uh, actually, for the first time in his life and ministry, allowed people to acknowledge him as the king. But it's interesting. So he, he's riding from Bethany. And as I understand it, you leave Bethany and you go over this, this hill and it's a long hill that takes you down into, down into Jerusalem. And as he was riding this, it says in, in Luke 19, 41, it says, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had just known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. So Jesus is saying, look, today is your day. Today would be the day that out of all the days of his life here on earth, that Jerusalem could have acknowledged him as a Messiah. They could have repented and man, I'm telling you, they could have had the ultimate end-time revival right then. They could have escaped this 1,900 years of persecution, but they didn't. And, and it says here that the, all of these things are now hidden from their eyes. Now, let me say something. God doesn't hide things from you as a way to punish you. Uh, things are hidden from you because the Bible says you close your eyes so that you won't see. You close your ears so that you won't understand. You don't want to repent. You do not want to change your life. You don't want to change your beliefs. And so you are the one that closes your eyes, and therefore you remain stuck 
And not only the thing that's blinding you, but you remain stuck in the thing that's going to kill you. Verse 43 says, for days will come when your enemies will build an embarkment around you, surround you, close in on you on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you. That's, he's speaking to the city, Jerusalem. They will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know or recognize or acknowledge the time of your visitation. Man, you know what? That is, that is really, really pretty phenomenal. And, and so, see, so many times God gives us written warnings about things, and we don't pay any attention to them, and so we end up getting into these things that, uh, that destroy us. But so many times God even goes farther and gives us prophecies either in the Scripture that we can sort out, or he gives us words of knowledge and prophecies in our real life. But the thing is, if we have not been willing to hear what's in the Scripture, we're not willing to hear it even if it comes in the form of a prophecy, even if it comes with signs and wonders and all of those kinds of things. You know, Daniel 9, 25 says this, know therefore and understand, and this is a prophecy, man. This, was, this is one of the most, probably the most powerful end-time prophecy that, that there is. And it comes about in Daniel 9, 25, starting in verse 25. And so he says, no one understands that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven sevens, or seven weeks, or seven periods of seven years. And then, uh, then it says, and 62 weeks. So you add 62 sevens plus seven sevens, and you come up with this, this space of time, and you actually, you actually know exactly how many days is going to be from the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem, which was made by Artaxerxes. Actually, there were four commandments to send the, the, send the Israelites back to rebuild the temple and ultimately to rebuild Jerusalem and the wall. Now, this one with Artaxerxes is the one to rebuild Jerusalem. And so from the day, and we know the exact date that that commandment came forth from that day until the day that Jesus comes riding in on that donkey. Now, keep in mind, I think as Isaiah talks about him riding in on a donkey. And so you, you, you get hit with these detailed prophecies all over the place. And so, so, it, says, it, says, so it says the street, you know, Jerusalem will be built again. Remember, this is when the children of Israel were in captivity in Babylon, and they had been there uh, actually at this time for almost 70 years. And, uh, and, and uh, Daniel was reading the book of Jeremiah, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, and ultimately stumbled across the prophecy and, that, and made him understand that it was close to the time that God said they would be released and, and be able to go back to Jerusalem. So that's when Daniel starts praying and fasting, and when, then he has a, a visitation from the angel Gabriel, who comes and brings this prophecy to him. And so he says, uh, so he says, the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troubled times. And after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. So Daniel's prophecy about the coming of Jesus actually was to the very day. We know what day this prophecy went forth, and we know the exact date that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that day. 
but it says, but, you know, but the Jews see that they did not want him to be the Messiah. I've said this many, many times. The problem with, with Jesus and the Jews wasn't that they didn't believe he was the Messiah. He just wasn't the Messiah that they wanted. And that's the way we are so many times with God. It's like, God, this, you know, it's not that, it's not that I don't know your will, but, if, but I just don't want what you're saying that your will really is for me. So the Jews did not prepare, uh, again, because uh, uh, they did not want Jesus to be their Messiah. Here's really interesting. One of the things, and I'll probably talk about this sometime in the future again, but I've mentioned this a few times. You know, the Pharisees had, I believe it was four different miracles that they considered to be messianic miracles that only the Messiah himself would be able to do. Nobody else could do these four particular miracles. Well, Jesus did all four of these particular miracles, and I think they threatened to kill him for every one of them. Why? Because these miracles revealed that he was the Messiah, not that he wasn't the Messiah. You know, for example, one of the miracles was to heal somebody born blind. They've been born blind a whole lot. Jesus did that. Another miracle was to raise somebody from the dead after they've been dead for three days. Jesus did that with Lazarus. So, so every time they turned around, everything they knew about the Messiah, uh, Jesus did it, but they didn't want him to be the Messiah. So it's interesting from the day that, that Artaxerxes gave this commandment for the Jews to go back and gave them permission to build the streets and build the walls and rebuild the city. Um, if, you, if you take the 62 sevens and, uh, uh, and calculate those into years, so, so it would be 62 times uh, uh, seven years. And so you, you come up with, with a calculation. And what's interesting is that that turns out to be 173,880 173, days. So to the very day, 173,880 days uh, from, the, from the commandment to rebuild to Jesus coming to declaring himself king, uh, came right on the very day that it was supposed to happen. And what's really interesting about this, and I mentioned this just slightly, David dove into this whole thing about this prophecy and trying to get the wisdom of God to know how to function for one reason. Uh, Daniel 9, 2 says, Daniel understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years uh, in the desolation uh, of Jerusalem. So Daniel was actually just reading the Bible, and he went over and he read the book of Jeremiah. And suddenly, he's like, what? Wait a minute. We're only supposed to be here 70 years, and God's going to deliver us after 70 years? So Daniel took that, and rather than running out and getting carnality, trying to start a war, trying to fight his way out, you know, or just coming up with some goofy idea, he starts seeking God, and he seeks God until he gets the wisdom of God about how to handle the very thing that, uh, that God had promised, the very thing that was coming. Now, listen, I got a bump out here, but let me just remind you, I have an incredible audio series that goes with this. Go back and listen to this. Go back and listen to the audio series. But my main thing that I'm trying to say to you in this, once you come to a place where you recognize God's prophetic word, then you will open your heart up to prophetic voice in your heart. So listen, check it out. 
and I will talk to you again. I hope you love this series and I got some more great stuff for you coming. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.